0: Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom-sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today, we have a conversation with Diane Bondi. She's a yoga instructor, social equity warrior, and body positive activist, spreading the message that yoga is for everybody. She's here to share her journey of finding freedom from the harmful role that diet culture played in her relationship with food, her self esteem, and self worth. Diane's story and how she's learned to appreciate her body for all it does is definitely worth tuning into. And before we get into Diane's story, I want to invite you to take our listener survey. And when you do, you automatically enter our raffle for a free recovery strategy session with me. The link to the listener survey is down in the episode notes below. Your feedback really helps us curate content on the show specifically for you. And it's been an absolute pleasure to be able to look at all your responses and understand how we can continue to serve you with content that you can connect with. And I want to shout out some feedback from a listener named Carrie. When asked what it is about the show that helps her move further in recovery, Carrie said it's the shared experience from people further along in their journey. And Carrie is just so right. There's something really powerful about knowing that you aren't alone and learning from people who have been there. And we're so glad this show can help you with that. Which brings me to our guest today, who has made significant progress going from body image struggles to body appreciation. Let's dive into this inspirational conversation with Diane Bondi.
1: Welcome to the show, Diane. Hi. Happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, You know, your work is really powerful and to me has been very impactful just kind of getting to know what you do behind the scenes and really your mission, or I like to say like your soul's purpose, and it's really tied into yoga. And I'm curious to know, how did you even get into yoga? Was it something that you thought was really going to be part of your main mission in life?
2: Uh, If you had told me like 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, if you had told me 15 years ago that I would like own a yoga studio and talk about body image and work on personal empowerment, especially for women, I would have said you were crazy because I had a really a high-stress corporate job where I actually loved it because I thrive in high-stress situations. And it was something that I I just loved. And I would have never guessed that I would leave all that behind and do this type of work full-time. So, And I have been doing yoga uh, all of my life, uh, since I was three. My mother introduced me to yoga when I was a toddler. Uh, She was, at the time, a stay-at-home mom with three kids under the age of four. And we lived in a very rural part of Ontario. And there wasn't a lot of, she didn't have a lot of friends. My parents were new immigrants to Canada. So my mom was feeling very isolated and didn't know what to do with herself. So she took up yoga as a practice. She bought a book called Stay Young with Yoga, which I still have. It was published in, I think, 1956. And we used to go through this book and pick out these pictures and just, you know, practice yoga in the basement while my brother and sister were napping. And it's a very clear memory to me because we used to, she used to set some time aside for the two of us to have like mommy and me time. And she would put my brother and sister down to bed, they're twins in this kind of like a bassinet that she carried. It was almost like a laundry basket. And she put them in the corner and we would do this yoga and then she would give me a a sucker. She's giving me these (laughs) lifesaver suckers. And I would have to sit on the couch and be really quiet for half an hour, from 3 o'clock to 3.30. And she used to show me on the clock because she had to watch General Hospital. So she did <laughs> yoga, and then she watched General Hospital. And that was my brother and sister's, like, hour nap. So that was, like, our special time that we did every day. So that had always, like, yoga had always been a part of my life. And it was, like, more of a physical practice. It was interesting to look at the pictures and try the poses and do all that stuff. But uh, as time progressed, it became more about the – meditative aspects of it it became more about the philosophy on how to live your life and for me it became like a survival mechanism for me as a woman of color living in a place where there weren't a lot of people that looked like me and dealing with some of the stresses of school and the things that I ran up against in my life it became this coping mechanism or this tool for me to navigate my life and uh, I used it as a tool all the way through my university years, and then kind of dropped off of yoga, kind of dropped out, was like, oh, I'm going to go do spinning, or I'm going to <laughs> take up aerobics or group fitness, or, you know, and I did all that other kind of stuff. But the thing about yoga, it's the one thing that I've never fallen out of love with, I might have set it aside for a few minutes. But I always come back because I noticed that my life isn't as full or isn't as meaningful. If I don't have that spiritual practice or that connection to myself. So as much as I dabble in other things, I always come back to my yoga practice.
1: That's awesome. Did you ever have anybody kind of question when you're like, yeah, I practice yoga. Be like, oh, you don't look like someone who practices yoga. Would you ever have kind of like a resistance to this idea of you don't fit that mold of the, oh, the yogi? Like the spiritual gangster, whatever they call them. (laughs) Well, it's kind of funny
2: because uh, mainstream media and yoga um, has picked up yoga culture like a fad or a commodity, right? So it really has put its lens, right, on things. And unfortunately, it's chosen the lens of whatever the popular beauty magazine is. So if you look at the most popular mainstream yoga magazine, it doesn't look any different than say women's health or shape or fitness. And it's really taken the spiritual practice and tried to make it like a thing that you can buy. So I think a lot of people see that imagery and think, okay, that's what a person who practices yoga looks like. We've had a lot of yoga body kind of marketing around that, a lot of fat shaming around that. And I remember the first time I went to a yoga studio I have a you know a solitary practice. I mostly practice at home. I practice by myself, and the first time I had gone to a yoga studio proper um, was shortly after I had a baby, so I think I was six weeks out from. Having a baby, and I remember going up to the uh, counter to sign in for this class, and the and the teacher looking me up and down and saying to me, "You know, this is going to be hard, right?" Like, and at this point, I'd already been practicing
1: for thirty years. <laughs> You're like, like, watch me, in my splits. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So I was just like, I was like, okay, thanks. Which is my reaction for everything. Thanks for letting me know. And then the reaction from the teacher during class is always this surprise. Like, look, it's almost like, look at that fat girl go. Like, it's just this surprise. And even when I became a teacher and had my own studio and I would meet people outside of the studio and they'd say, what do you do? And I, I teach yoga. And again, they give me that up and down look and go, really? Yoga, so it's unfortunate because anybody does yoga, like anybody can do yoga, anybody's welcome to do yoga. But because of the commercialization and the commodification of yoga, it has become this almost exclusive club that we're all working to break down. Like, we're all working together, there's a group of people, there's a whole movement working together to stop that imagery or to actually not even so much stop it as to broaden it and invite other people to be to be seen on the mat as well
1: and that's what I really love about your work it's like anybody but it's really like anybody anybody yes. can do yoga like any age ability size absolutely and like even his little kid like any anybody can do yoga and I think that's the beauty because there is so much power in it like what would you say are a few things that you really got out of yoga? That wasn't just related to the actual physical part.
2: I think a sense of peace of mind, for one, that I had the skill to find quietness even though life is chaotic. So I have um, boys who are into all kinds of travel sports. And let me tell you, when I'm not traveling for my own work, I'm traveling for soccer or basketball or whatever else we're, we're doing. So it's being being able to remember when things are chaotic and I think I'm going to lose it, like just start screaming, um, that I can always find that place. I can always find my center. I can always come back to my center. Uh, and it's also true for when I'm sometimes feeling defeated. You know how life sometimes feel defeated, or sometimes you're having a pity party for one. I can come back to my, you know, my meditative practice to my mindfulness practice. And it reminds me of all the things that I'm grateful for. And it it just flips my mood instantly. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the largest parts is personal empowerment. And that came from uh, my mindfulness practices of seeing the world as it really is, as opposed to seeing the world as I think it is, or seeing the world through the lens of say, beauty culture, diet culture, fitness culture, it really helped me kind of lift the veils that were clouding my idea of the world and gave me a broader understanding of the world, which allowed me in turn to step into my power and say, you know, that's not true. That's not for me. I don't need to pick that up. That's some kind of marketing bullshit. Or there's some kind of what I call low self-esteem campaigning Mm -hmm. out there to keep me in a place of constantly buying whatever beauty product you're trying to sell me. And I learned that so implicitly from practicing because you get to start to peel back all the layers and see that you're fine as you are. Like you don't need all this other external stuff.
1: Yeah. And have you found that the, the practice of like getting into the awesomeness too has taught you really what you're capable of?
2: Definitely. You know, it's so empowering to figure out how to move your body in a way that is a mindful and be kind of from a place of self care, because prior to really diving into my yoga practice and understanding that working through the asana gets me resilience and teaches me to be patient with myself and teaches me that this is an amazing instrument and an amazing piece of technology we live in that adapts and moves and shifts and is always on our side so it's always dedicated to keeping us alive in our best form and i learned that through moving through the asana and i just it, it was it's an incredible experience to get to know your body and begin to accept it as it is. Whereas uh, fitness culture tells us something different. It tells us that we need to be smaller and we need to work harder and all that kind of stuff. And yoga culture does not tell you that. It tells you that you are perfect as you are. And however you get to where you're going on the mat, it's, it's totally cool as long as you're mindful of the journey.
1: Yeah. It's like this surrender, right? I always found like when you're like, you know, harder fast, like I'm going to get into this. It's, but it's just like the more you breathe into it, the more you surrender, like the deeper you go into the pose. Just kind of like a life analogy, right? Like the more you surrender, the oh. deeper you can go into life. Yeah. Uh, what's one of your favorite asanas? Do you have one? One that you find that's most empowering or that you... I'm really- a
2: big fan of triangle just because I like to feel my hamstrings. Okay. <laughs> my hamstrings are always, I don't know what that is about, but I'm in it and I'm like, oh, and then the, the external rotation of my heart. And I'm just like, I, I, if you look at my Instagram, chances are I'm in triangle in whatever pictures I post on You Instagram. do have a lot of in-
1: yeah, triangles, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So now I know why.
2: <laughs> yeah. Or a lot of um, wide-legged forward folds because um, it feels really good in my low back, and it gives me a lot of space to breathe. And you know, I love those kind of standing poses that feel powerful, where I feel grounded through my legs, and that I could really be expansive in my heart. Any of those poses always speak to me, so I'm a big fan of standing poses. I have like a hands-free vinyasa that I teach where it's just all standing poses. Oh wow. Right. Yeah. And it's fun. It's great for people who are, you know, dealing with a shoulder injury or arthritis in their hands, or, you know, maybe they they have difficulty getting up and down off the mat. So I do this whole series where we're just all on our feet and it's just all about feeling the power of your legs and feeling, you know, rooted into yourself. And I, and those are my favorite types of poses and practices to do.
1: That's cool. I like that idea of just doing all standing.
2: Yeah. And it's very accessible, especially for beginners. I find sometimes chaturanga or plank pose, lower plank pose is like very daunting for people holding all that body weight or, you know, Mm -hmm. or just the constant movement can be hard for people. So I found that that is a really successful practice for a lot of people.
1: Cool. Now, what would you say your journey to body confidence has been like?
2: People would kind of ask me this question all the time. And I say to people... Like yoga, it's a practice. I don't wake up every day and love every aspect of my body. And some days, you know, I wake up and I, you know, and I start um, falling back into old patterns. But what I love about my yoga is I'm aware of what's going on in my head and I can stop myself in a moment and say, okay, you know what? These are thoughts. These are old thought patterns but it 's taken me a long time, and I, and I do feel really powerful in my body i I think the first step to me really identifying and making friends with my body was when I got pregnant with my son Nathan, and I realized that this body was just not mine anymore uh, to do with it as I pleased to abuse it however I wanted to because it was only really affecting me, and that now somebody else was inhabiting my body, and my body was putting that person first, right Your body will prioritize your baby over you. And I thought that was really interesting that the human body was able to sustain both of us so beautifully. And I thought, I'm looking at my body in all the wrong ways. It's like actually a piece of magic when I think about it. Like I'm growing a whole nother human being like this, this blew my mind for so long. And so I was really conscious of nutrition and I was really conscious of, you know, making sure that I was getting all the right things. I remember I went for my calcium test at the doctor and he was like, holy smokes, your calcium test is off the charts. I've never seen a person with this, you know, this much intensity in their in their calcium. I was eating those. Those tums, you know the uh an acids because they're calcium caltrate, I think, and I read some book somewhere that that was the best source of calcium, so I would eat like six of those a day, like they'd be so gross, but I'd be like. I'm going to have strong bones, and my baby's going to have strong bones. And I just I just remember, you know, being really interested in all the chemistry and physiology of my body, and being really curious about all the things that was happening. So it changed my perspective, it didn't seem like my body was something I had to overcome, or be ashamed of or punish. It was this miraculous thing I could watch grow and expand and build another person and then make food for this person. It was just like, I was like, that was the turning point for me. And then I was enamored with it. Then I was like, look at this, we cut ourselves and it heals and we have this capacity to love people. And I'm like, your hair grows and you cut it. And I mean, all these things that you just take for granted that your body does, I was all excited about it. So that was the beginning steps in that. And then once I was enamored with the, you know, the physiology of my body and the anthropology of your body, how it evolves over time from your ancestors and all this cool stuff, I was less interested in anything or anyone who had anything disparaging to say about my body or bodies in general, then they just kind of became like, what's your problem kind of thing. That's, that's on you. That's not part of me.
0: That's so
1: cool. So you started to more like co-create with your body, like, look what we can do together, as opposed to this kind of always looking at your body as like an enemy, like what, like in trying to diet your way or change this part of your diet in order to achieve a certain result. Yeah.
2: I gave that I gave that all up. I was always just interested in being hydrated, which was one, mm-hmm. and then this obsession with calcium. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> ridiculous, but um, but it was just really fun to watch. And then uh, when you go and get your blood pressure taken, and they would have put the heart rate monitor on me, I would play this game with you know really controlling my breath and seeing how low that I could get my pulse rate down by just watching the monitor. And, Stuff like that just blew my mind. Like, I actually watched the number come down.
1: the nurse be like, whoa, what's (laughs) What's going
2: on? Magical, right? (laughs) Stuff like that would just, I was so enamored with it. And I still am to this day, so.
1: So prior to that, did you have a dieting history?
2: Yep. I started my first diet when I was eight. Oh, wow.
1: Um, That's really Yeah.
2: My mother put me on a diet when I was eight. And I had diet pills when I was eight because I was... Chubby kid, as uh, what they used to call us. My dad was mortified that i was was fat. He told me, you're already a woman, you're already black, and now you're fat, so that's the trifecta. um you're gonna have a really difficult uh, life. you can't control you're a woman and you can't control your' black, but you can't control that you're fat. Hmm. and so he pretty much beat it into me literally and figuratively that you know, he didn't want a daughter who was fat and that, you know, that I needed to do something about my my weight. So he would restrict food. My mother would restrict food. They would make me get up in the morning and run for an hour. My dad bought me a skipping rope and I couldn't go to bed until I uh, skipped up to 500 or a thousand at least before I went to bed. So I had parents who were uh, very strict with that.
1: Wow. And so then, how has your relationship with your father changed over time? Is he more accepting of who you oh, are now or like, is it? No
2: relationship with my dad. Yeah. It just, it was toxic. Hard. Yeah, It's super toxic. And I just think he's an unhappy person mm-hmm. who has a lot of soul searching to do, but isn't really ready to do that. So when you are in a relationship with him, it just reverts back to old behaviors. So I I forgive him and I love him, but we just, we can't, it it just doesn't work.
1: Yeah. I had a very similar situation with my father. He passed, but like, it was the same where it's like, I can try to go for you for this love that I want, but you're not, like you said, there's that soul searching component that they're not really ready to do. And no matter how much you want to have that connection and that true acceptance and bond, it's, it's really difficult if they're not willing to support that other end of it.
2: Yeah. And it always, I even noticed in my 30s, when I was in my 30s, he'd always revert back to me being a kid or a teenager and not willing to treat me like a peer, but mm-hmm. always you know, wanting to treat me like I'm a child. And I'd often have to say to him, you know, I'm not 10, <laughs> I'm 35 or, or whatever the case may be. And I just was like, eh, no, there's, there's some deep self-hatred going on there for him. And there's some deep soul searching and so some things are just never going to change and that's unfortunate, but these are our choices. So
1: I think the important part for it seems like you, you have is that you're, you've forgiven him and that's, you know, that's from your end. That's all you can really do.
2: Yeah, that's totally it. And, you know, uh, I wouldn't deny him access to his grandsons or anything like that, but it's just him and I can't have a relationship. It just doesn't work out.
1: So a lot of the scientific evidence shows that when someone goes on a diet at such an early age, it really kind of messes them up into the future, like in adolescence and then beyond. Did you find that like trying to manipulate your metabolism at such a young age really had effects down the road and how you, you know, physiologically how you responded to food and your relationship to it?
2: Absolutely. I did a lot of research um, in the past, you know, few years because there's a lot of research out there. My favorite book, Health at Every Science, yeah, awesome. and the first 36 pages of that book blew my mind because there is all this scientific evidence and research and peer-reviewed research that's been around forever that doesn't come to light, and what I liked was that it was like, here are the facts, like you make your own decision. This is the research, and this is what I found, and this is other research that supports my research, which is really quite interesting and when I look at back at my patterns of eating and my connection to diet culture and has influenced my set point of my weight in my body the way I look at food the way I think about myself like diet culture is seriously dangerous and unfortunately it keeps evolving into different words or we find yeah. new ways to introduce it so now diet culture is often referred to as wellness culture and i have i don't have a problem with wellness if it's holistic and we're talking about a mind body spirit e- experience i have a problem with wellness when it's attached to some kind of diet and I really like the movement towards intuitive eating. I like the movement towards trusting your body because diet culture, the biggest thing that diet culture did to me was teach me not to trust my body and taught me that hunger was the enemy. And these are very dangerous ideas. Um, Your body knows best for you all the time and its main function and purpose is to keep you alive. So it's always going to tell you the right thing, no matter what. And, And being hungry or going to bed hungry somehow makes, makes you more powerful. This is, you know, this is dangerous stuff that shaped everything I've thought about food and my relate and and my relationships with other people, right? So, it's been uh, very eye opening to look back and see that that first diet when you know I was eight years old, you know, it still looms in the background, and, it, and you know, and it still comes up every now and again. And I think, oh, that's diet culture. I'm not interested in that. I'm not listening to that anymore.
1: And it's true; they do kind of like the diet culture tries to use different words to kind of avoid like certain, you know, weight watchers now isn't as cool, but they're going to be like, it's a lifestyle change, which, which is like, there's lifestyle changes out there. But then sometimes you're trying to say like, Paleo's a lifestyle change. <laughs> it's like, is it really a lifestyle change <laughs> like, this is a diet. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, know. Like- totally. <laughs> so, it's all,
2: it's all like the slick, slick marketing. Yeah. And what I've, what I, what my yoga practice has taught me is to really see it now. I'm like, mm, what are they selling here? What's, mm-hmm. the outcome What's the behind life? this? What- yeah, what feelings are they tapping into here? Mm-hmm. You know, and if I have to hear about one more paleo, because you know what paleo is? It's Atkins. You know what? Atkins <laughs> is something else. You know what I mean? Like, it's its just a pile of bullshit. And it's just like a little more
1: natural, organic way of doing Atkins.
2: <laughs> <Like> whatever. Whatever spin <laughs> you need to make it new and to sell it as something new. But let's be honest. If you lay it all out, it's all the same bullshit. Yeah. It's just packing right? When my mother was dieting in the seventies, it was cottage cheese and cantaloupe and jazzercise. And so now we have paleo or juice fasting and I don't know, Pilates or group, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Group spinning or um, Zumba or whatever. It just evolves, right? It's just, it's the same stuff, but it just evolves for the times. And if you're not paying attention, you'll totally get sucked in.
1: Yeah. So your kind of journey now to intuitive eating, did that really start? when you're pregnant with Nathan or was it, and then you realize oh, like, wow, like I actually can honor my hunger yeah. and fullness and my body yeah. doesn't change. It actually changes in ways I never thought it was going to. Like in good ways. In good, yeah. It's just like, Wow
2: better I can yeah you know, i have more stamina like I'm like mm-hmm. what I'm not always obsessed about what I'm eating about you know what I mean mm-hmm. and this idea that you have to eat at eight and noon and five like I just love this idea that you just eat when you're hungry like yeah. you just listen you go oh, okay I can eat now and just you know enjoy what you're eating and you know I like this idea of not having value on food that just because you choose I don't know Ice cream over kale just make you a bad person because, you know, people who eat kale are morally superior or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that whole idea that we can let some of that nonsense go, that there's some kind of moral value on the foods that you eat. And that I just, I'm so glad to let go of all of that stuff and just like enjoy your freaking life. Like yeah. I can't imagine being so tied to diet culture that you can't enjoy Your life. You can't enjoy eating. You can't enjoy being on the patio with people. Like, I, I had this recent obsession with the movie uh, *Devil Wears Prada*. The *Devil Wears Prada*. I just was in New York City um a week a week ago, and I watched the I watched the movie prior to going to New York City because I'm like writing down the stuff I want to see from this movie. And when I watched this tongue-in-cheek satire of the fashion industry. That's what that movie looks like to me now when, when they're making jokes about, you know, what is it? Six being the new size 14. I'm like, that's actually kind of true. And, you know, being able to see that as for the ridiculousness that it is that, you know, or, or this idea of hiding figure flaws, like there's a perfect figure out there. No, nobody's got a perfect figure. Therefore there are no figure flaws. Like being able to like dissect this stuff now and see how ridiculous it, it is, as opposed to being entranced by it and Completely sucked in is a real exercise of mindfulness. I'm just watching. I'm like, what's the message here? Who are they targeting? Like, this is my constant conversation on everything. Why do I feel this way when I watch this? And is this good? Or is this, you know, is this something else? And do I need to be watching this And there? And most of the time I'm like, oh, you're not talking to me. <laughs> I just keep going on. This is not for me. This is for someone else, right?
1: So you approach it with this like open-ended curiosity, knowing that there's usually some type of motives behind it.
2: And it's interesting to figure out what they were thinking when they put this stuff together. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, they thought this was going to work. It's very interesting to now watch that or to, you know, when something comes out to look at things with a critical eye and not Mm -hmm. just be sucked in automatically.
1: Yeah, I've done that. I see that a lot with food advertising when it's like always like the chocolate is like, devilish and seductive and bad, and it's okay to be guilty. It's your cheat day. It's like always these things about this, like what you're saying, the moralization, the value. And then, you know, Cal is like clean, never tasted so good or something like that. You know, it's like, they're really trying to create this <laughs> devil angel type of dichotomy in our relationship with food, which I think, and I'm sure you experience, leads to shame and guilt. If you are identifying with this as good and this is bad exactly therefore i am good and i am bad if i'm doing
2: and that's their point right that's how they get ahead is by teaching you you're not enough and you can't think for yourself and let us think for you and Mm -hmm. what i love about what's going on in the world right now with this resistance movements is like everybody's waking up wait a minute we can think for ourselves wait a minute we can push back against these ideas wait a minute i'm not down with this body shaming like Mm -hmm. you know it, it we, we've come to this place in our in our culture where people are actually like, whoa, whoa, whoa! We've been asleep for the past twenty years. We need to wake up now and and do something. And we've seen it in this huge shift with the body positive movement, mm-hmm. which really started to take traction or root in like 2015s when I noticed it was just like everybody was on board. Um, it was like a slow burn. I've been talking about body positivity in some form or another since uh, 2000. And twelve, when I was taught talk- when I wrote a blog post for Elephant Journal that said yoga isn't just for skinny white girls. Now the to- the the title is is clickbait because I want people to click and read that this is really for you know everybody, 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 and not just the people we ordinarily see. But it slowly started to take traction, and you started to see like mainstream magazines like Runner's Magazine put a plus size, you know, a bigger body, an abundant body running because those bodies run too. And mm-hmm. those bodies, you know, do physical activity and that there's no one way to look in this life and that this thin ideal is damaging beyond belief.
1: Totally. It's not, it's unreal. And so it's like, we're trying to like, what, succumb to this standard that is really doesn't like, exist. Doesn't it's exist. arbitrary,
2: the standard and the women that we see on the catwalk at the Victoria's Secret Way represents 3% of the population. That's a very specialized niche of women that actually look like that, like that are born that way. And then there's a lot of them who are not born that way mm-hmm. and that are fighting their genetics, right? So that's all very dangerous. But yet we hold this up as the ideal. I don't know anybody that looks like that. And, you know, and I, I travel the world. I teach over to a lot of different populations and I very rarely run into somebody who fits that ideal, which shows you how truly rare that is. And yet that's this, this is the standard. And if we start looking at it that way, that only 3% of the population naturally occurs that way through whatever genetics. And if we look historically at anthropology, those particular women would not have survived if we were scavenging, right? Because they don't hold weight. The women or the people who would survive that are the people who hold weight because sometimes you don't eat every day when you're foraging for food back in the day before we became um, so evolved. So when you think about it, the anthropology doesn't support that particular body type. It's only technology that allows that body type to flourish.
1: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting like the change in the way the mainstream like culture has has created because i mean like you look at paintings back in the early 14th century it was very like women who had curves and everything because they were of high status because they could eat and hold their weight and like yeah yeah. exactly and
2: And if you look at tribes like they've gone into places like um, New Zealand and Australia and that tribes that are not exposed to modern culture or mainstream culture, any of that. And they show them pictures of women. Um, the, the women they're attracted to are, def- are definitely heavier. And, and there's this idea that those women are more fertile. Mm-hmm. And these are people who are not exposed to any kind of marketing from the outside. So a lot of this social conditioning is just that, a social construct and a social conditioning that, as much as it can be taught, it certainly can be unlearned.
1: So how, yeah, what are some steps for someone who's struggling now and with their body image to kind of unlearn this? Like, what would you say to someone who is at the spot where they're feeling like they're not measuring up? They're not really meeting the standards. They got to just do it harder, diet more, just one more day at the gym. Like that's, what's going to make it happen. What can you say? Like, what advice can you give to someone to really kind of embrace this body positivity and like, what are some steps they can take or mindset shifts?
2: My, what I found was really helpful is to find some of the leaders in this uh, movement. So I also love to follow people on social media, actually Instagram, uh, body posi yoga. I love, I love Virgie Tovar. Mm, I love, yeah. um, Yeah, I love the militant baker, Jess Baker. And there's a lot of people out there that are sharing in community their experience and teaching us about what mainstream culture has done. So for people I think who are struggling find your community because nothing happens alone. Like this is not something you can do by yourself. This is something that has to happen in community because there's lots of social structures in place to pull you back into this mindset of you need to go harder and you need to go faster. That isn't actually designed to benefit you, but it's designed to uh um make sure that advertiser marketers and corporations make money off whatever bad feelings you have about yourself so if you can tap into those communities that allow you to see yourself for who you are and teach you that you are enough i think that's really a big step because nothing happens alone and know that change happens in tiny steps it doesn't happen all at once so that you know we need to just scale it back a little bit and decide you know do i pick up these messages and one of the organizations that I work with and that I'm a part of the leadership community is the Yoga and Body Image Coalition. And we are a group of over a hundred people who are in community constantly to a change some of the imagery around beauty standards and yoga and, and bring people forward who are sharing information on how to step into your power and how to be, how to become comfortable with who you are. So unlearning these messages that you've been bombarded with your whole life and starting to see, you know, are you reacting? Are you responding and, and, and starting to think critically? So reaching out to those communities, I think, is the very first step in breaking this cycle and this pattern. Because once you talk to other people who are sharing their lived experiences, who have been where you are and have managed to break free, I find that that's kind of inspirational and gives people hope.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's like becoming an activist, like in a way, like you're aligning with these revolutionary, like it is, it's not revolutionary, but in this day and time, it is to think that like, wow, we can actually love ourselves as we are. Like, what a thought.
2: It's <laughs> Lord says that it's a revolutionary act in this time. Yeah. To love yourself. See, there I'm paraphrasing. Um, to, to love yourself and that self care is a revolutionary act, I think is actually the quote, but, um, but that's true. It, it is revolutionary to push back again mainstream culture and advertisers that tell you constantly you're not good enough because, hey, I need you to buy this, right? And it's not about you. It's about them. So
1: it's about the, yeah, the bottom line for them is the dollar and like, how can they,
2: uh, squeeze it out of you? you know? <laughs>
1: Well, before we wrap up the show, I just want to take a minute and acknowledge you for breaking down barriers to the preconceived notions of yoga and spreading the important message that yoga is for all of us, regardless of size, shape, ethnicity, age, ability. I mean, it's really for everyone and there's so much uh, positive things that can come from it. So you really are a a social equity warrior and your work clearly Mm -hmm. shows that. And just thank you for being such a positive role model for so many
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's, I love this work and I love watching people step into their power and learn that they are enough. And I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do this work. So thank you for that. And I'm grateful people find it helpful and impactful.
1: You can tell, you can tell when someone it's really their passion, you know, and and that clearly shows for for you. Yeah. Um, So the final question for you, Diane, is what is your definition of recovery?
2: I think my definition of recovery is survival and strength and knowing that, you know, there are going to be setbacks and that if you reach out to your community and know that you're not in this alone, uh, that recovery is possible. So recovery is possible. So just keep at it, reach out to your community and know that we support you in, in your quest for self-acceptance.
1: How can all the recovery warriors stay in touch with you and the awesome work you're doing?
2: come uh, come visit me on my website at uh diane there's two m's and an e and diane bondi yoga and then i'm all over social media i must admit i'm not on snapchat because i don't quite understand it (laughs) Um, but you can find me everywhere everywhere else on social media (laughs) on diane bondi yoga
1: yeah you have a lot of sweet goodies on your site so definitely check it out thank
2: you really
1: proud i'm really proud of my
2: site we're working
1: on it we're always trying to
2: bring you something cool
1: yeah great well thank you so much for spending time with us today
2: It was totally my pleasure, my honor. Thank you for the invitation. And I'm grateful to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Diane Bondi. You can connect with Diane and her wonderful work in the episode notes below. Now, let's go over three key takeaways from this conversation to help you recover strong. Key takeaway number one. Yoga is for everybody. Diane has faced a lot of assumptions and judgment in the yoga community because of her physical appearance. Yoga is often presented as something that is only for thin white women. Diane has had people straight up assume that she doesn't have the ability to do yoga despite having decades of experience in the practice. The truth is that yoga is for everybody. And Diane is one of the many people working to spread this message and foster inclusiveness in the yoga community.
2: Even when I became a teacher and had my own studio and I would meet people outside of the studio and they'd say, what do you do? And I, I teach yoga. And again, they give me that up and down look and go, really? You teach yoga? So it's unfortunate because anybody does yoga. Like anybody can do yoga. Anybody's welcome to do yoga. But because of the commercialization and the commodification of yoga, it has become this almost exclusive club that we're all working to break down. Like we're all working together. There's a group of people. There's a whole movement working together to stop that imagery or to actually not even so much stop it as to broaden it and invite other people to be be seen on the mat as well.
0: Anybody can do yoga, no matter what age, ability, size, or skin color. Accommodations can be made. And there's so many benefits to yoga that go beyond the mat in the physicality of the practice. It's a popular tool that many people have in the recovery toolbox. Seek out individuals like Diane who are working to spread the message of inclusiveness in yoga. Whether you're interested in yoga or other types of movement, find something that feels right and safe to you. You deserve to move your body in ways that feel good. So that is key takeaway number one. Yoga is for everybody. Key takeaway number two. Your body is magic. Your body is an instrument in which you experience life. Underneath all of the struggles and difficult feelings you have about your body, know that it is always on your side, no matter how much it feels like the enemy. Diane shared how her pregnancy helped her see the magic of the human body.
2: And I just, I just remember being really interested in all the chemistry and physiology of my body and being really curious about all the things that was happening. So it changed my perspective. It didn't seem like my body was something I had to overcome or be ashamed of or punish. It was this miraculous thing I could watch grow and expand and build another person and then make food for this person. It was just like, I was like, that was the turning point for me. And then I was enamored with it. Then I was like, look at this, we cut ourselves and it heals and we have this capacity to love people. And I'm like, your hair grows and you cut it. And I like, all these things that you just take for granted that your body does, I was all excited about it. So that was the beginning steps in that. And then once I was enamored with the, you know, the physiology of my body and the anthropology of your body, how it evolves over time from your ancestors and all this cool stuff, I was less interested in anything or anyone who had anything disparaging to say about my body or bodies in general.
0: Your body is always working to keep you alive and in your best form. This is true down to a cellular level. The cells in your body are working together to help you 24-7, 365 days a year, regardless of what is happening in your mind. And through recovery, it's possible to have both your body and your mind on your side. That was key takeaway number two. Your body is magic. Finally, key takeaway number three, create a recovery friendly social media feed. We live in a world filled with toxic messages from diet culture and hustle culture, telling you you're not working hard enough and your body isn't small enough. You can't dodge every message you see and hear out in the world, but one thing you can do is be mindful about who you follow on social media. There is a growing community of people that share educational messages of hope and encouragement for recovery. Diane mentioned a few that she likes to follow.
2: I also love to follow people on social media, uh, Body Posi Yoga. I love. I love Virgie Tovar. I love the Militant Baker, Jess Baker. And there's a lot of people out there that are sharing in community their experience and teaching us about what mainstream culture has done. So unlearning these messages that you've been bombarded with your whole life and starting to see, you know, are you reacting? Are you responding? And 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 starting to think critically. So reaching out to those communities, I think is the very first step in breaking this cycle and this pattern. Because once you talk to other people who are sharing their lived experiences, who have been where you are and have managed to break free, I find that that's kind of inspirational and gives people hope.
0: Turn your doom scrolling into pro-recovery scrolling. If an account makes you feel bad about yourself or your recovery, unfollow it or mute it so you're still technically a follower, but their content doesn't show up in your feed. Creating your own mini world on social media can play a big role in how you perceive recovery and break free from the shackles of diet culture and unhealthy comparisons. This is the power of creating a recovery-friendly social media feed.